Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The scripture is very clear. We have a spiritual problem. Our problems that we face, sin, addictions, uh, sinful habits, distress, anxiety, sickness, disease, those all find themselves having a spiritual root. They are not natural phenomenons. They are not natural occurrences. When people ask, why are there evil things in this world? Why is it that um, it seems like There's evil that is prevalent in the world. The answer is so clear. I don't know why they have to come up with like 18 volumes of books in Christian theology just to explain this one thing. It's a very simple answer. The Bible says man was created good. Earth was created good. Everything was perfect until the day man sinned. When sin entered into the world, death spread to all men. That's when sickness took over. That's when death took over. That's when sin took over. That's when everything that resulted from sin took over. Marriage problems, hate hateful uh, attitudes towards others, racism, all kinds of evil permeated and perverted the human race. But from the beginning, it was not so. And the sacrifice that was required to restore, to reinstitute God's original order of creation wasn't a human sacrifice. It wasn't going to be an oxen. It wasn't going to be a goat. Those things were satisfactory in the old covenant to get to get the children of God and those that believed on Jehovah through to what happened in this new covenant, which was the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God in one, united God's perfect union with man through the the, the body of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, let me read this to you. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews, the second chapter, and beginning with the... 14th verse, inasmuch, listen to this, inasmuch as the children partook of flesh and blood, he himself, referring to Jesus, likewise partook of the same flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and then didn't stop there, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to its bondage. For indeed, God does not give help to angels, but he does give help to the seed of Abraham. The Bible says very clearly that there was a spiritual cause to all the problems man faced. And the answer wasn't going to be a natural thing. It wasn't a natural remedy. It wasn't going to be, if you read on in Hebrews, the blood of a goat or a natural thing. It had to have a supernatural substance to break the supernatural curse that had come on man. That supernatural substance is what I'm about to talk about today. The blood of Jesus Christ. The potency of the blood. What is in the blood of Jesus? What does the blood carry that has the ability to like what we just read 
as he partook of flesh and blood and when he shed that blood he destroyed him who had the power of death if sickness is sickness the objective of sickness is to bring a man to death if jesus's blood put an end to death itself then how much easier do you suppose that sickness in your body today is not going to be exterminated by the efficacy of the blood of jesus christ i want you from the beginning of this broadcast to set your faith to set your faith to receive that this isn't going to be another broadcast that you tune in just to be informed i'm not interested in informing i'm interested in transforming the bible is not a book of information it is a book that brings transformation god does not want ministers today to inform people just so that we can have head knowledge knowledge puffs up but it does nothing uh, alone when knowledge is mixed with faith it brings the transformation god desires to do in you spirit soul and in body you have dwelt along the mountain of sickness long enough you've dwelt along that problem long enough you have been looking forward to an event that you are uh, assuming god was going to do people are looking forward to break breakthrough they're looking forward to be healed they're looking forward to be saved but the bible doesn't say we're looking forward to some event god said that we are to look backwards to the event that transpired on that cross at calvary when sin sickness death unrighteousness was passed from us to calvary but from calvary came health came life came righteousness came riches came came supernatural help to help us in life so that we can live as more than conquerors through him who loved us and that's going to be your story from today enough is enough i'm fed up with I have no problem when people message me, but I'm fed up when people message me and I see the problems they're going through year after year, month after month, decade sometimes after decade, without any ability to break free. Jesus said, when you see, he told the Pharisees, because the Pharisees were complaining when he had healed that man that had a withered hand and they were saying there's six days on which men ought to be healed come and be healed on those days jesus rebuked them and said you 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 hypocrites and i have to filter myself there you hypocrites you religious dummies ought not this person whom satan has bound all these years shouldn't that person be loose which of you doesn't untie his donkey to bring it to water or if one of its sheep falls into a, a, a ditch which of you is not going to help that that sheep out of the ditch so that it can go back onto land and he said if you're able to do that see religion is so obsessed with uh with with informing people about dot and tittle that they forget the purpose of the law the letter killeth it's the spirit that brings life we are charged with a mandate to tell the sick they can be healed we are charged with a mandate to tell those that are in prison doors the day of your captivity is over you can leave and emerge free today we are charged with a mandate to tell people that are bound by condemnation because of past sins that there's now therefore no condemnation for those that are in christ jesus the 
The devil will have a field day if all you ever do is talk about the blood, maybe you sing about the blood, but you don't understand the power that is released when you plead, when you, when you apply the blood to your home, to your doorpost, to your life, to your body. He doesn't care if you're informed about the blood. He doesn't care if you just, you, you just know that the blood was shed. He, he want, he'll get anxious and get like a panic attack the moment you start to understand that the blood prevails, that the blood still holds the power that it held when it was shed on that first that first time in Calvary. That blood still reaches to the highest mountain. That blood still goes to the lowest valley. That blood still speaketh of better things than that of Abel's. That blood has sealed a new covenant, which the Bible says is based and established on better promises. So I'm here to tell you today, set your faith, expect. The Bible says the expectation of the righteous shall not be cut off. The expectation of the righteous will not be cut off. What you expect, you will experience. If you expect nothing from this broadcast other than to take notes and that's it, then you'll leave with notes. But if you expect today, that today's the day of God's favor, that there's no better day to be delivered than today, that as I absorb the revelation of what the blood means for me, I'm not sitting here in my my mud another day of my life I'm not sitting here in this ash heap I'm not sitting here in this beggar's hill I am rising to the great destiny God has for me I'm not going to insult the blood by staying wallowing and complaining in what the devil's doing to me I am rising up and I'm taking the full benefits of what the blood purchased for me he hath made peace with us through the blood of his Christ when you have peace with God the Bible says when a man's ways please the Lord all his enemies are at peace with him people love to say we have peace with God and that's true we have peace with God but that peace with God brings us into the realm of peace and all around rest from all our enemies that we had before. Sickness was an enemy. Poverty was an enemy. Uh, uh, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, a drug addiction, alcohol addiction. Those were all enemies. When you become at peace with God, God goes to work by his blood to make sure that you have peace in every area that used to torment you. That's why the Bible says in 1 Chronicles 15, the Bible says when they entered into a covenant the first thing you have to understand about the power of the blood is that it is a blood covenant when you enter into a covenant what is a covenant a covenant is a contract between two or more people that, that has a set of terms and conditions that if one party respects their terms and conditions the other party uh, will respect their term they'll respect the deal so a covenant is a contract. When God signed a covenant with Abraham, when he set the, he told Abraham to cut the pieces of the oxen and the bulls and put one on one side and the other part of the, the bull on the other side. And then he put him into a deep sleep and then God walked through. He was cutting a covenant with Abraham that in blessing he would bless him and that he would indeed make his descendants as numerous as the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore. God cut a covenant with Abraham. Jesus in the New Testament, before he went and suffered the cross, the Bible says he gathered his disciples together and he did what? He took the bread and broke it and he said, this is my body, this eat as often as you do in remembrance of me. And then he took the wine, the cup of the wine, and he said, this is my new covenant in my blood. 
And as you drink this blood, you proclaim the Lord's coming until uh, the Lord's death until he comes. When you drink this blood, he's saying you're you're now John 6 says it like this. When you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have my life in you. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ does for you. It imputes, it imparts into you divine life, divine nature that where you were weak, you're now strong. Too many people think they're just doing some ordinance in the church. That they're just taking the cracker and taking the, the juice, drinking it just so that we can like get on with the service. They have devalued communion. And as such, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, because of that, many of you are actually dying before your time. Many of you are weak and many of you sleep early, meaning you're dying tragically before your time because you haven't discerned what you're doing. When you drink of the blood, when you eat of the flesh, you are infusing your own physical body and your spirit and your, your own soul with the life force of God, thereby empowering you to live a life that is supernatural here on this earth. And so if Paul thought it worthy to talk about this covenant in the New Testament and in the book of Hebrews is literally a description of the covenant, the blood covenant in detail, then why is it that you... You can go 55 services in a church week after week and not have it, not hear the word blood. You know that even amongst my modern generation, this modern generation of preachers, they actually tell people that go through Bible college, you shouldn't even bring up the blood. It's too gory. Don't say the word blood. Don't say the word sin. They're trying to water down the message of the gospel. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the blood because it had it not been for the blood, I'd still be in sin. If it hadn't been for the blood, I would still be a, a, a drug addict. If it had not been for the blood, I'd still be bound by OCD. If it wasn't for the blood, I'd still be in my ditch called sin. If it wasn't for the blood, I still would have the guilt consciousness of sin. If it wasn't for the blood, I still would be a weak, emaciated, defeated, under the regime of Satan type of person. And that's what you have in the body of Christ. They're not taught the power of the blood, so they stay as victims. When the Bible says clearly in Revelation 12, 1, uh, 11, that they overcame the devil. How? By the blood of of the lamb so if you shy away from preaching the blood they ain't gonna overcome the devil it is a necessary component just like when a scientist wants to produce uh, some sort of chemical reaction he needs necessary elements to merge and combine in order to produce uh, the chemical reaction he wants to do in the same vein the bible says there are three things that bear record on the earth this is in 1 John 5. Three things that bear record on the earth. Three things that enable a believer to have dominion on the earth. Three things that give victory when understood here on the, in this life. And he says, number one, the, the water, the word. Number two, the spirit. And then he says, and the blood. These three are one. It is the three-folded cord that cannot be broken. And in a lot of churches, we talk about the word. And, you know, you have churches, well, we're a word church only. Well, if you're a word church, you're going to find out there's other things than just, <laughs> than just declaring and confessing the word. The Bible says then there's the spirit. There's a lot of churches that say, well, you know, you, know, you go to their church services and they, they, they just have like, you know, manifestations of the spirit. But they don't even open up their Bibles. 
And I would even question in some places if it even is a manifestation of the Spirit. For a lot of places, they just rely on the gifts of the Spirit. They don't even open up their Bibles. And so people are doctrinally dumbed down to accept every wind of doctrine that comes their way. The Bible says that we're not only to be people of the Word, we're not only to be people of the Spirit, we're to be people of the blood. Why is it important? Because God cut a covenant by Christ Jesus in His blood with us. What does that mean? In North America... Uh, predominantly, people don't understand what a blood covenant is. They think it's some like, you know, witchcraft. And a lot of times, it, you know, witchcraft, they do do blood covenants with the devil and stuff. The devil just manufactures, he counterfeits everything God does in the authentic. He always has a counterfeit. He always has uh, 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 his own version. So there are blood covenants that people do demonically. And, and there's witchcraft and whatnot. But that, does, <laughs> that doesn't mean that there's not a covenant in the word that was sealed by blood. And so... Actually, I was, I was reading a book recently that talks about blood covenant. And there's, you know, you look at any tribe in the world. You can look in South American tribes. You can look in South Africa, um, in African tribes. You can look in the tribes of Papua New Guinea and all that. They all have this understanding of cutting blood covenants. They all have some sort of understanding of it. My belief is that, you know, everyone had uh, the first covenant that was ever cut with man was what? Genesis 3. When God cut a covenant by killing that animal and covering Adam and Eve's sin. That was a blood covenant that he made with them. And then um, it was a temporary one, ultimately looking forward in a type and a shadow of what Jesus would ultimately come to do. So I think that because of that, because every tribe comes from Adam and Eve, they all have an understanding of blood covenant. And the Bible says that we have God's law written on our hearts. So they all have this understanding of power of life in the blood. Leviticus 17, 11, The power of a thing or the life of a thing is in its blood. So you see that in a lot of tribes. We don't see that in America much. But in, you go to some African areas, you'll, you'll see people to this day cutting blood covenants. And so this uh, guy named Stanley, who was a, uh, I think he was an Irish missionary, had traveled to Africa and was actually looking for David Livingstone, who was a famed missionary to Africa. And in his search for David Livingstone, he had set up his home base in a certain area of Africa. And uh, he had like his farm. He had, he had every ability to sustain himself while he was there in his search for, for David Livingstone. And uh, he had a headquarter while he was in Africa. While he was there, he realized that there were people around him that were stealing from his farm, stealing animals. There were people that were like not respecting him because he probably because he was white folk or whatever. They thought he was rich and they would just steal from him, expecting that the guy probably had like an unlimited resource. This is like back in the 1800s or whatnot. And uh, he ends up, he ends up consulting one of the locals saying like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to like make it. They keep, you know, they keep robbing me. So, the guy says, why don't you cut a covenant with the main chief that's in the village next to you? And he immediately, because he was a Christian, he said, I'll never do that because, you know, that's like a, a demonic ritual or whatnot. And the guy ended up convincing him to do it, to cut a covenant with this chief. And so he said, uh, they, they had organized a day where he came up and then the chief came up and they had their own representatives and all that. And the chief ends up, because in this blood covenant that they would do, the chief would require you give something of, of prized possession to him and that he would give something that is of value to you. And so 
this guy Stanley had a um, a goat that he would get goat's milk from, and it was his only goat that he had. And the goat's milk was necessary for him because he had a, a, like a bad stomach issue. And the goat's milk almost soothed his stomach, his stomach issues. So when he, he, he asked for his goat, he was like reluctant. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to give the goat. And finally he said, just give, his consultant said, just give the goat. You know, it'll, it'll pay off. So he gave the goat, the goat to him. And then the man gave him back like this seven foot staff that was like bronze or whatnot or some, I don't know what it was made of, some like bronze or copper staff and he, and he handed it over to him. And he immediately thought, man, I just got short change. I just gave him my most prized possession and now all I got is this stupid stick. Not knowing that that stick actually, because they understood blood covenants in, in those African regions, the transaction that occurred when he made, when he entered into this blood covenant with that chief was that he, by that stick, was giving him like an ambassadorial object that wherever he went, it was as if the chief was there. Wherever Stanley went from that day onward, they had to respect him as though he were the chief, as though he were the chief walking through town. So if anybody stole from his farm from this moment onward, they would be stealing from the chief himself and then subject to, the, to punishment as if they had stolen from the chief himself. And then from that day onward, nobody dared harass him, nobody dared um, rebel against him, nobody dared touch him. And everywhere he went, when he had that stick in hand, they like bowed to him as though he were the chief himself. I want you to, to, to see that. They haven't, because in North America, we don't understand blood covenant. We don't value why Jesus took his blood and said, this is my new covenant in the blood. But when you understand, that's why when you bring this message of that God brought a blood covenant to mankind in those tribal regions, they understand it immediately what that meant for them. That's why you see it. A lot of times in African crusades, people getting sick. Reinhard Bonnke said when he did his crusades in Africa, the main message that he would preach, the one with the most effect, the one with the most power that would come on the scene as he preached it, the one that had the most results was when he preached on blood covenant, when he preached on the blood, because they understood that, you know, they had an understanding of blood covenants with others, but that now God made a blood covenant with them, and then had sealed that covenant by his blood, and what that meant, that now, just like when he had that staff, everything that the chief owned was now his possession. All the protection of the chief, the, the, the strength, the, the royalty of that chief was now bestowed on him. In the same vein, because we have this covenant sealed by his blood, all that what God owns now belongs to us. That's why the Bible says in Colossians, man, if you'll understand this right now, you, you won't stay sick. You, when you understand this right now, you won't tolerate demonic hindrances. When you understand this you're not going to complain about your situation at hand you're going to see what god has made available to you take it by force and see it done in your life colossians 1 and verse 12 thanks be unto the father who hath what who has made us partakers of the inheritance of the saints we now through the blood have become partakers of everything that is in heaven everything that the riches the the let me let, let me read this to you Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation, the fifth chapter, and beginning with verse, verse 5. Let's listen. 
You know what? Let's verse one. And I saw in my in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look at it but one of the elders said to me stop weeping I want you to write in the comment section wherever you're at right now weeping endures for the night but joy comes in the morning Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Why was he weeping much? Because nobody had access to open the book and read its scrolls. People weep when they have no understanding of covenant. People weep when they have no understanding of the word of God. They weep when they have no uh, knowledge of what Christ did for them ultimately at that cross. That's where weeping endures. That's where weeping prevails. That's why people get sad and sorrowful and complain and they get depressed. You know, that's what happened to those two men that were on the road to Emmaus. After Jesus was crucified, they were walking. Jesus appears to them on the way and he says, why are you weeping? Why are you so sorrowful? Why do you look way down in your hearts? And they said, don't you know of this Jesus? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard of what happened to this guy called Jesus who was a prophet mighty in God mighty in power and in scripture how he was handed over and crucified they've taken him are, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't understand what just happened and Jesus the Bible says looked at them and says you foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken and he began from the scriptures to open up their understanding to comprehend what the blood meant for them. And the scripture says, then open either mind to understand the scriptures. And what happened? They rejoiced. Their weeping was turned to joy when their eyes were opened. David said, Lord, open up my eyes that I might behold the wonders of the scriptures. Hallelujah. That's why they wept. But notice what happened. Stop weeping. Stop weeping. Weeping doesn't bring you to breakthrough. Crying about your situation is not going to do anything. Jesus said in Matthew 6, why do you worry about your life? Can each of you, by worrying, add a single cubit to your stature? Can you increase in stature because of your worrying? The Bible says in Psalm 37, don't worry. Don't be anxious for it only causes harm. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, don't be anxious for anything. Just being anxious, just running around, helter skelter like a chicken without its head is not going to turn your story into a testimony you need to have access paul said it and i said this on tuesday when i was on with evangelist kofi paul said that the eyes of your understanding would be open so that you can see the new testament especially hebrews is written as a law document a legal document not showing you that you should believe for these things to happen it is showing you that because christ shed his blood this is what it means for you now legally you have legally these things are part of you legally legally you have ownership over these things that we don't have to cry and weep and strive and struggle to obtain we can open up our hearts and receive the riches of god don't weep for the line of the tribe of judah has prevailed has prevailed not will prevail i'm convinced most people just need a basic grade three english study class before they can read the Bible. Because too many people are relegating this to like almost like what Christ did on the cross was insufficient. 
insufficient. Which, by the way, Hebrews 10 says that when you insult the spirit of grace by calling the blood of Jesus as a common thing, you are in danger of destruction. When people start talking like that, like the blood wasn't enough for your deliverance. Like the blood wasn't enough for your healing. Like the blood wasn't enough to set you free once and for all. Like the blood wasn't enough to break the chains of sin off your life once and for all. You are in danger of insulting the spirit of grace and calling the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified a common thing. It's better to put your hand on your mouth. Too many preachers, they devalue the efficacy of the blood. Because it's easy to sell tickets to your conference when you start telling people that their season's coming. And if you'll come to this conference, we'll give you 18 keys and 14 different books and volumes that will allow you to know how. They're like the Pharisees. You're laying on men burdens too hard to bear when simply it's a key of knowledge that unlocks the doors of breakthrough in your life. Hallelujah. I pray in the name of Jesus, the Spirit on the inside of you is being flooded with understanding. Your eyes are being opened. The entrance of this word is getting into your heart and every form of darkness, every form of ignorance that has robbed you of being a partaker of the life of God is being ridden from you and you are entering into that glorious liberty that belongs to every child of God in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that for yourself, for your family, for your business, for whatever belongs to you in Jesus' name, just type amen in the comment section today is the day the day is the day like i said before you have gone along this mountain long enough you don't have to put up with the devil's crap another day in life when the blood was shed that was the sign that was the signature on the word of god that signed signed all the promises of god over to you the ball's not in god's court the ball is in your court now we're to take action like the people did in the days of egypt they slayed the lamb they took its blood and and they smeared it on the doorposts and the lintels and it happened that when the destroyer angel passed over if an israelite got cocky or arrogant and said well because i'm an israelite i don't have to take the black the blood of that lamb i don't have to smear the blood of man that's one of my nicest lambs and they want me to take that no way jose they would have woken up the next morning to their own firstborn child dead it wasn't because they were an israelite that they were spared from the punishment it wasn't because they were children of abraham that they were spared from the punishment they were spared from the destroyer angel because they applied the blood it's not enough to just know about the blood today we're gonna know how to apply that blood practically and see victory come to us in every day in every area of life and just like the days of Egypt when the destroyer angel passes over your house passes over your family passes over your children this blood that's been applied shall show him a red like a red glowing neon sign that this is part of the untouchables of God this isn't a house you can touch they're part of the unafflictables they're part of the invincibles they're part of the indomitables they're part of the touch there is a touch not decree that's been put over your home because of the blood and the blood prevails to this day in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. 
Verse 8, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy. This is what they were singing about Jesus. They sang a new song saying, if you're just joining me now, you'd be a great help to me if you share the broadcast. We're at 150 on uh, YouTube and Facebook, which is great numbers. People are being touched today. People are being touched today. The devil is shaking in his little booties. I'm telling you. He can't stand. The blood was the last card. Remember the plagues in Egypt? They didn't work for Pharaoh. But when the blood was applied, Israel emerged free. And they brought them out with silver and gold. The blood is the last card. We have weapons of warfare. If you've tried all the other weapons, this is the last card. The devil can't stand the efficacy, the potency of the blood of Jesus Christ when it is released, not as a rabbit's foot. People use the blood of Jesus like it's some four-leaf clover. If they just say the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, that's not it. It's when you declare it from a heart filled with understanding of what that means for you. It's not empty confession. Empty chatter leads only unto poverty. The Bible says empty confession does nothing. But when wisdom comes behind that confession and understanding, understanding is like the spring of life that gives power to your confession. Understanding is what embeds your confession with the power of God. Faith begins where you understand God's will. Faith begins when there's an understanding, a workable knowledge of the word of God. Faith is not empty confession. Faith is confession based on your workable knowledge of the word of God. I'm saying this because I've seen it in the word. I have handled it. That's why God told Genesis, uh, Abraham in Genesis 15, Abraham, lift up your eyes. Look, as far as your eyes can see, that's land that I've given unto you. As far as you can see, that's what understanding is. Understanding is just seeing what God has said. It's, you know, when you try to explain something to someone and you're like over and over again, trying to use different analogies, they're still not getting. Then finally one analogy clicks. And what do they say? Ah, I see. They tell you they see. God told Abraham, as far as your eye can see, that's land that I've given unto you. As far as you can see in this book of covenant, what belongs to you, that's what will will manifest in your life. That's what will take root and, and will be established in your life. So let me, let me read on. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Hallelujah. Redeemed us by your blood. Out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation, and have made us kings and priests unto our God, and we shall reign on the earth forever and ever few things the blood does for you and i'm gonna go through them right now number one the blood forgives sin and more than that it brings remission of sins let me read this to you hebrews chapter 9 the blood brings remission of sins in the old covenant the people by the levitical priesthood the high priest once a year presented himself before the holy of holies and not without blood he came with the blood of an animal he came thank you nathaniel on youtube god bless you man he came with the blood of an animal he came 
with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer to sanctify himself. And he presented himself before the Holy of Holies as a representative for the people so that their sins can be covered for one year. Very big difference between having your sins covered and having remission of sins. And I'm going to explain that to you by reading Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. But Christ came. Now, let me read from verse 6, Hebrews 9, 6. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always had, uh, went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic. Remember, everything that God told uh, Moses to write down all the ordinances, all those, those rituals, all those things, those cleansing ceremonies that they did, they served as types and shadows of the things that were to come. Verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation. He wasn't a goat. Not with the blood of goats, not with the blood of calves, but with his own blood. Hallelujah. By his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hallelujah. Like Kenneth Hagin used to say, I hope you brought your shouting, uh, shouting, your shouting clothes, because this is, this is good stuff. having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls or goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, would sanctify the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, to cleanse your conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. Jesus came. As the, remember John the Baptist in John chapter one, I believe it is. He saw Jesus walk past him. And what did he say? Behold, the lamb of God. What was he talking about? Do you remember in Genesis 22, when Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac, his only begotten son, his only son whom he loved, his most precious seed on the mountain called Moriah, and he went in obedience, and as he lifted up his hand to slay the, the, uh, the animal, God stopped him. Remember, Isaac before said, Lord, he, he, it's not Lord, he said, Father, I see the, the, the wood, and I see the cords to bind the sacrifice to the altar, but where is the sacrifice? Abraham said, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide for us a sacrifice. God will provide the perfect sacrifice. When uh, Abraham was about to slaughter his son, God stayed his hand and said, now I know that you will not withhold your only precious son and in blessing I'll bless you. And immediately when Abraham lifted his eyes after that, what did he see? He saw a ram caught in the thicket. That Isaac was a test for Abraham. God was almost testing man. Would he be ready to sacrifice his own son? And when he saw Abraham was the father of faith, God then said, now... I'm going to provide, not a ram, not oxen, not a natural blood, the blood of my only begotten son, the blood that is without spot and without wrinkle, a blood that hasn't been tainted by sin. Let me read this to you, 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to this. 
First Peter chapter 1. Knowing, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, hallelujah, not redeemed by corruptible things. People always say, you know, I hear it a lot, and I think I've been guilty of saying it, that it should have been us on that cross. No, it shouldn't have been us on our cross. Us on that cross would have done no good. Nobody can by his own blood redeem himself. The Bible says, who can say I am pure from sin? Who can say I am clean in my hands? The scripture says in Psalms, who can ascend the hill of the most high? Who can stand on his holy hill? None but those that have pure hearts and clean hands. Nobody, oh, Psalm 51, we were all conceived in sin. Sin tainted the human race. The poison of sin was transgenerally, uh, transgenerationally passed on. So it couldn't have been you or, or me on that cross. It, there was a requirement to satisfy the wrath of God, to satisfy the justice of God. There was a requirement of perfect sinless blood that had to be shed in order to give remission of sins to us. That's why we were not redeemed by corruptible things, by tainted things, but by a the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hallelujah. He was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world, but now has been manifest in these last times for you. Number one, what does the blood do? What does the power of the blood mean for you and I? Remission of sins. The Bible says he has blotted out. The old covenant covered sin. It's like if you tell your kid to go and clean his room and all he did was throw all his toys under his bed. There was still a mess under that bed. It wasn't done away with. It was not possible through the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It can just cover sin. Almost like, you know how like when Moses came down from the mountain, they had to cover his face. That's what it did. Our ugliness, God couldn't look at us. But for the time being, those innocent animals that they would kill covered our guilt for a year but it didn't get rid of it that's why the bible says if it had the power to remove our sin then they wouldn't have had to have offered sacrifice year after year after year but all it did the guilt stain of sin still remained it was just an outward thing to do awaiting for the ultimate fulfillment of what they were doing which was christ entering in not a temple made with human hands he didn't go past the veil that is in the temple that was located in jerusalem he entered into heaven itself as the actual sacrificial lamb of god to present himself holy and without reproach before god and as such give us now free access free access into the throne room of god the bible says in um in the book of Isaiah 43, our sins and lawless deeds, he will remember no more as he makes a covenant with us in those days. The blood covenant doesn't just, it's not you sin bad, but you should be reminded of that sin and how wretched of a person you still are, but God by his grace will still let you into that. No, when you came to Christ, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old sinful lifestyle, not just the actions, the guilt you carried with it, has been done away with. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. The Bible says very clearly, 
as far as the east is from the west, so are our sins removed, removed, as if they never existed, justified. Romans 5.1, we have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus and have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does the word justify mean? It's a theological term that signifies um, total removal, total extraction of sin. So not just, you know, the action of what we did was forgiven, the guilt and weight of what we did is absolved. Just if I'd never sinned. Just if you'd never sinned. As if you had never gone to that club. As if you had never drank that beer. As if you had never done that drug. When God looks at you, because the blood covers you, He sees Christ. The Bible says by that blood, He has forever perfected those who are sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus. I am perfect now in position. My righteousness is not something I feel. That's where pe people are too feeling led. Well, I don't feel righteous. Who cares? The Bible says that our righteousness is a legal position that we hold now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So number one, forgiveness of sins. Number two, important. The blood of Jesus breaks the power of sin over your life. People say all the time, how many of you know, you know, we, we might be forgiven, but we all sin every day. Speak for yourself. You shouldn't be sinning the same things over and over again every single day for your whole life until you get to heaven. And then finally, no, Jesus told that man, in John chapter 9, now that you, John chapter 5, now that you've been healed, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come on you. If he told a man who was under the old covenant that he had power to go and sin no more, how much more shall the blood of Jesus break not only, not only sin in us, but our appetite for sin? I want you to understand something. You are not just forgiven. When the blood of Christ cleansed your temple, cleansed your body, cleansed your spirit, the old you was removed, the old sinful appetite was removed, the old desires of the flesh that drive to sin was removed, and now a new, uh, the Bible says you have put on a new garment that is created in the image of God. So now the same way we had an appetite for sin before, the same way we couldn't put to rest our fleshly desires until we did it, that urge to do sin, now we have an urge because of the blood of Jesus cleansing us from those appetites, that same blood has imparted into us new appetites to do righteousness. Romans chapter 6. Can't talk about this without speaking on Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Listen to this. Shall we then say, what shall we say then? Shall we then continue in sin that grace may abound? How many of you know we're not under law, we're under grace. So that means it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh, you know. You can just ask God for forgiveness right after that and, and it, it's under the blood, amen? It's under the blood. You, you don't understand what the, that's, you're, <laughs> you are trampling the blood of the Son of God underfoot and are in danger of, of, of judgment. That's not what the blood of Jesus did for you. The blood of Jesus, grace is not a license to keep on sinning. Grace is an empowerment God gives you by His blood as the life of the blood gets in you to live as Christ lived. 
1 John 2, 6, if we say we abide in him, we ought also to live even as he lived. The Bible says be perfect even as he is perfect. So grace didn't come so we can excuse sin. Grace came to empower us to go and sin no more. Paul says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? How do we, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so now we should walk in newness of life. Another translation says that now we should live new lives. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, Paul saying, knowing this. So why can we talk like this? Why can we say we can live new lives? Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I'm not a slave of sin. I am no longer a slave to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. What does a slave do? A slave doesn't do what he wants to do. A slave does what its master wants him to do. When he's saying, I'm no longer a slave to sin, sin was our master. We had no ability to fight the urge of sin. But now that we're no longer slaves to sin, we don't have to fall under the master, uh, the, the, the dominion of sin any longer. We don't have to fall victim to sin any longer. We don't have to do what people always say. How many of you know that flesh will just act up? That's why the Bible says, Paul said, I bring my flesh in subjection to my spirit so that after I've preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Do you think Paul was going around telling people they shouldn't sin all the while he was sleeping with prostitutes everywhere he went? No, he said, I'm not exempt. I too have a work to die daily to self so that the manifestation of the life of God would be seen through me so that I bring my subje- the, the flesh. He said, there's a, a, a law in me that... That is at enmity. The carnal nature is at enmity. You're always going to have to subdue that carnal nature. Because until Jesus comes and recreates our body, there's going to be a carnal, uh, a carnal nature. There's going to be a, 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 um, a flesh that wants to speak up. And if you don't take authority over it, it'll speak up. And it'll, it'll become a master over you again. That's why the Bible says, Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh are evident. And the deeds of the Spirit are also evident, and these are in constant opposition to one another, so that a person, if he falls victim to the, to the, the, the voice of the flesh, will not be free to do what he wants to do. The Bible says, he that is ruled by his carnal nature is at enmity with God. He can't please God. But that's what the blood empowers you to do, to subdue, to suppress, to crush that carnal nature, so that the deeds, the fruit of the Spirit, can be exemplified through you knowing that christ having been raised from the dead dies no more death no longer has dominion over him for the death that he died he died to sin once for all but the life that he lives he lives to god likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to god in christ jesus our lord therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body don't let sin dominate the way you act don't let sin dictate your actions don't let sin control you 
so that you should obey in its lust. Rather, present your members as instruments of righteousness to God as being alive from the dead. For sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You are not under law, but you are under grace. What then? Shall we say, shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Don't you know that to whom you present yourself a slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey. So the blood of Jesus not only removes sin from you, so that you now stand before God in righteousness without any sense of inferiority, any sense of condemnation. Remember the Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who no longer walk after the flesh but walk after the spirit. So that means when the devil tries to accuse you of your wrongdoings in the past, you can show him the blood. You can show him the blood. You can show him what the blood means. The blood speaketh your righteousness. The blood speaketh no condemnation over you. Jesus told that woman caught in the act of adultery, I don't condemn you, now go and sin no more. So when the religious crowd, when the devil whispers into your ear, your unworthiness, depravity and all that, you can do like in Zechariah 3. The devil was whispering, before God, that Joshua the high priest was disgusting, what not was not worthy to access God's presence. But God replied and said, shut up, Satan. This one is a brand that's been plucked from the fire. Now take his dirty turban off and take his, take his dirty clothes off and put on him a clean robe of righteousness and clean turbans over his head. For this, my son, was dead, but now he liveth. We were lost, but now we're fine. We had dirty garments stained by sin, but now he who knew no sin becomes became sin on my behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and I'm not just absolved from the penalty of sin I don't have to by the blood of Jesus obey sin in the flesh any longer I am empowered to quit being an addict you don't have to stay an addict another day you don't have to fall victim to that needle you don't have to be an alcoholic you don't have to be addicted to that pornography the power of blood is washing over you and the chains that sin have forged over you are being snapped off one by one in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and you are breaking free at last and free forever for whom the sun sets free is free and free indeed if you believe that for yourself just shout hallelujah in the comment section number three what does the blood mean for me the blood breaks the curse there are three curses in scripture number one Deuteronomy 28 is the curse of the law this is the curse for disobedience. The curse that came on people when they walked, stepped out of obedience with God. When they decided to go their own way, there's a way that seems right unto men, but its end is the way of death. These, God said, if you will not obey my voice and observe carefully all the commandments and my statutes which I've commanded you today, these curses will overtake you and overcome you. God's not going to go out and curse you. These things will just naturally be gravitating and magnetized to you. Without God doing anything. It's the curse of the law. These are curses that come when you violate, deliberately sin against the law of God, against the word of God. If you're living with a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you think you can declare the blessing of God over your life, you're going to be frustrated. Psalm 50 says, what right have you to take my covenant in your mouth since you've cast my words behind you and trampled them underfoot? You can't speak blessing out of one, one side of your mouth and then out of the other side of your mouth you're speaking gossip and, and corrupt words. You can't be in church one day and then the next day you're joining yourself to harlots 
and think you can feast off the table of the Lord that he set for the, for the, for the righteous and the redeemed of the Lord. You have to choose ye this day whom you shall serve. And when you deliberately choose sin, these things God said will come on you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Meaning you won't be able to escape it. Even if you try and move. Thank you, Anthony. God bless you, man. Pray the Lord adds to you a hundredfold. In Jesus' name. You'll try and escape the curse, but you won't be able to evade it. It'll follow you everywhere you go. People think, well, you know, I'm not doing well here in... Uh, in Toronto, so maybe I'll, I'll move to Alberta and hope I'll strike, strike oil there or get rich. If you're cursed in Toronto, you'll be cursed in Alberta, in Edmonton. If you're cursed in Washington, D.C., you'll be cursed in San Francisco, California. Doesn't matter where you are. You have to come. You have to give your life over to God. Get washed by his blood so you can break free from this curse, which is the curse of the law. Cursed shall you be in your basket, your kneading bowl. That's talking about financially being cursed. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will, will allow on you cursing and confusion and rebuke you and all that you set your hand to do until you're destroyed. And then it goes on curses of sickness, of tumors, of mildew, curses of uh, the heavens over you being as bronze. So the heavens not giving rain in due season. Nothing working out. That's part of the curse of the law. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. So God didn't write those things in De Deuteronomy 28 just to show you, oh man, I'm seeing that. I must be cursed. Well, I hope one day things change. No, listen to this. Galatians 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you violated one thing of the book of the law, you fell under the category of curse. It was impossible to uphold it. That's why they had to put the, the innocent blood of animals to cover them or else all those things would come on them year by year. They never break free from it. The Bible says if you try to obtain and uphold all those, those uh, conditions and terms, You'll never be justified. No one is justified by the law in the sight of God. And that is evident for the word says the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Listen to this, Galatians 3.13. This is like the pinnacle verse of the Bible. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Cursed is everyone, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Bible says that we all, by nature, were children of wrath, subject to the curse of the law. But the Bible says in Galatians 3.13, because of the blood Jesus shed on that wooden beam, that blood is a trickle down when they pierced him in his side and blood and water came out. Christ redeemed us. The power the blood contains is the power to break you free from the curse of the law of what's listed out in Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 to the end of the chapter so that we don't have to, we don't have to, to, to be cursed in our coming in, cursed in our going out. We can now, like the word of God says, be partakers of the blessing of Abraham as we walk in faith in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Diane. God bless you on YouTube. 
Thank you. Man, we have great followers. With, uh, we're not even collecting an, uh, an, uh, an offering. and Just generous people. I love you all. I really do. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the second curse? Generational curses. The blood of Jesus breaks you free from generational curses. How do we know that? Ephesians 2. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember, you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. At that time, you were without Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, the scripture says, those who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's talking to Gentiles here. You weren't part of the family of God. You had generational curses, but you now who were in Christ, who were far off by the blood of Jesus have been brought near, brought near to what? For he himself is our peace and has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two making peace, that he might reconcile them to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came to preach peace to those who were far off and to those who were near, for through Christ we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now listen to this, verse 19. So what did we come near? What have we been brought near to? Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Hallelujah. I'm not a foreigner to the house of God. God, I'm not a stranger to the commonwealths of Israel anymore. Now that I've been joined with Christ and become one spirit with him, I am a member of the house of God. Romans 8.15 says that the spirit of God testifies with our spirits that we are children of God and he has poured out the spirit. We've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption that prompts us to cry out, Abba, Father, God is my Father. What does that mean? When Paul told the Romans, when Paul told the Romans that you are now, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we crowd Abba, Father, he knew what he he knew the audience he was addressing. Those Romans understood the laws of adoption. Matter of fact, many of the adoption laws we have today, to this day in the United States and Western society, we've adopted from Roman law. Roman law, when someone was adopted under Roman law into another family, several things happened. Number one, he automatically assumed the rights and privileges of the new family that he was entering into. So even if he was not even of the same race of a Roman, the moment he came in to a Roman family, that child now had access to the rights and privileges and the inheritance of his new father. So when that father passed away, he would split his inheritance amongst all his children, including the adopted ones. The Bible says that we are adopted into the family of God and we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. That what Christ owns now, in the heavenlies now belongs to us by virtue of the mystery of our reconciliation to him hallelujah number two when a roman adopted a foreign child into his family that child forfeited the rights and privileges of the family and the debts and obligations of the family that he came out of 
Our father was the devil. Remember, there's only two families you can belong to here on earth. There's the family of God, where God is your father. Those who receive Christ, to them gave he power to become children of God. But the other family, Jesus said in John 8, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. You're either serving God as your father, or you're serving the devil as your father. When you belong to the family of Satan, everything he has, all that belongs to him, sorrow, premature death, tragedy, sickness, depression, panic, anxiety, marital, marriage distress, marital distress, financial poverty, destruction, and every wicked thing that comes with it. When you belong to the family of Satan, those things naturally flow from the father to the son, from the head to the toe. When we were delivered from that family and transferred, translated into the kingdom of God's dear son, we have been adopted into God's kingdom and as such, we have forfeited the curses that belong to us while we serve the devil. And that's why people, they come to me, I, I, I've had it many times, pray that this generational curse will break off of me. Stop identifying as part of your old, your old lineage, your old genealogy. You're cut off from, not only am I cut off from the genealogy that I had as a, as a, as a, a son of the devil, but now, because of my position in Christ Jesus, God being my father, Jesus being my elder brother, and the Bible saying that he has, uh, he has not been ashamed to call me brethren, Jesus is not ashamed to call me brethren, my family, my lineage, my genealogy begins in Christ Jesus. So that means if cancer ran through my family before, if the curse of depression ran through my family before, that generational curse broke the moment I got saved and I became washed by his blood because I entered into a new family where those things... is. I mean, can you see Jesus struggling with cancer? Can you see Jesus struggling with diabetes? Can you see Jesus struggling with a, a curse, not being able to make it in life? No. He lived a life showing what it meant to dominate the curse by the blessing. And now, by virtue of new birth into that family, we've been cut off from tr tr generational curses and we've entered into the blessing that God promised Abraham. What did God promise Abraham? Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. And I will bless you and I will make you great and you will be a blessing. I will, not only that, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll also curse those that curse you. Which leads me to my third point. The third curse that the blood of Jesus breaks us free from is just curses from evil men, witches, warlocks. TJ, you got to be really careful the way you talk. You know, if a witch ever heard you say that, they'd pronounce a curse. Curse away! They can curse whom God has blessed. Numbers 23, the Bible says, God has blessed Israel and no man can curse them. The Lord has, has um, not denounced them and as a result, no man can denounce them. How shall I bless... How shall I curse the one whom God has not cursed? Behold, God has blessed you and no man can reverse it. 
God told Abraham, not only you'll be blessed, not only will people be blessed through you, those who connect to that blessing, I'll bless those that bless you. But if anyone makes it a point to release a curse your way, they, I, God said, I'll take it upon myself to release a curse over their life. Bounces off of me and comes back right to them. Pressed down sevenfold. That's why any witch that tries to take it upon himself to curse someone who has an understanding of this, this scriptural uh, law by virtue of our blood covenant, they back off. They don't even try to do it because they know if I curse them, seven times curses are going to come back on me. So they said, you know, we don't touch them. We don't go near that house. The Bible says the curse without cause shall not alight. So the blood of Jesus breaks three types of curses off your life. So you don't have to wonder, do I have a generational curse? Maybe you did. And you'll continue to give power to that, that generational curse by continuing to confess generational curse over you and confess that you've not broken free from it. No, instead change your, until you change the words you say, you're not gonna change the world you see. Start to confess what the Bible says about you. That I who was far off, I've been brought near into a new family. A family where diabetes no longer reigns. A family where sin no longer reigns. A family where destruction no longer reigns. A, a family where sorrow, where hard times and struggle doesn't reign anymore. I belong to a family where the blessing, favor, mercy, goodness, riches, and dominion rules and reigns. Hallelujah. People allow a generational curse to cling to them past them being born again because they continue to give power to that curse by the words they speak. There was a guy, I was just reading this book. His father is a, a tent evangelist. One person, a mother, brought her child to the tent evangelist and said, um, can you please pray for my son? He has a generational curse over him. He's got a, a, a demon of alcohol on him. And uh, he looked at the child and saw that the child wasn't like more than eight years old. And he looked at me and said, brother, I, like little boy, are you drunk off root beer? You had one too many root beers today? That lady was literally setting her child up for generational curses because she saw her grandfather was a drunk, her father was a drunk. It doesn't matter if every person in your family died at 30 years old prior to you. The moment you got saved and born again, that premature curse, premature death curse, that tragic death curse got cut off your new lineage in Christ Jesus. And now long life belongs to you. With long life, I'll satisfy you and show you my salvation. So quit saying what you've been seeing and quit and start saying what this word says about you. I am blessed. My children, not only do I have a, am I no longer vulnerable to generational curses, I have a generational blessing. My children are blessed. My children will be used mightily of God to impact their generation. My children will not be a burden, but a blessing wherever they go. My children are going to be more than conquerors. My children are going to carry breakthrough in any region they enter into. My children, whatsoever their hand puts to the, whatever they put their hand to, shall prosper in their hand. 
Because the curse is to the fourth generation. But God said the blessing is to a thousand generations. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, whatever followed you in your past life, in your family, past generations, it gets broken off you today by virtue of an encounter with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are being released from former bondage as a result of those former transgenerational curses and you're entering into a transgenerational blessing from today onward in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe that for yourself, type amen in the comment section. Number four, what does the blood of Jesus do for you? It transfers and transmits the very life of God into you. Jesus said, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has my life in him. When you drink of that blood, you know, what do they do in modern science? What do they do when someone's sick? They empty their blood and they, they do a blood transfusion. They put new blood, healthy blood in them because the life of a thing is in its blood. Well, I want to ask you something. If a human blood has power to help another human vessel in recovering in sickness or whatever weakness they might experience in their body, how much more? Shall the blood of Jesus Christ, as you partake of that miracle meal, eliminate bacteria in your system and transmit in you the DNA of Christ's power right through your body? Hallelujah. When I drink of that blood and eat of that flesh, when I do that miracle meal, that communion, I'm thinking, as I'm eating this, God, Christ's body is fusing with my body. And just like the rod of Aaron, when it was laid down before the Egyptians and they laid down their three rods and they all became snakes. The rod of Aaron overwhelmingly ate up the rods of Egypt, the snakes that the Egyptian mag magicians had formed by witchcraft. That's a type and picture of when you eat of that meal and drink of that blood, that, that juice, as it gets in you, it's going to work to swallow up any foreign substance in your body. If you have kidney problems and dialysis, you know what that means. When you, take, when you take the blood, you're literally having a spiritual dialysis. That's being, you're being emptied of bad blood, but God's blood is coming in to terminate any foreign life in your system. It transmits God's very life to you. You have become a partaker. You know, when you plug in a, a branch into a tree, that even if it was a dead branch, it'll actually assume the life of that very vine that it was connected to and it will take on the DNA of the tree. When you take of that blood and partake of his blood by doing communion, you're literally branching yourself in to the vine, which is Christ, and his DNA begins to flow through you, thereby enabling you to operate in his very own class. That's why Jesus said, as the living father sent me, so now I send you, and as the living Father sent me, and I live by the Father, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, he will live by me. Hallelujah. You don't have to go on in your own strength. You don't have to be strong and just make it through. No, the blood of Jesus will put on you, endow, embed within you supernatural energy to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint, to do all things by that Christ who strengthens you. Hallelujah. Number five, and this is one of my favorite ones, the blood serves as a protective barrier. In Egypt, they applied the blood. When the destroyer angel, 
angel came over, anyone that didn't apply the blood, their house were uh, affected by the destroyer angel who came and took the firstborn of every family. But when they had applied the blood, what happened? The destroyer angel saw the blood and it served as a sign to him, you must pass over. He passed over. That's why we call it Passover. And isn't it interesting that as they kept that ordinance of keeping the Passover and applying the blood, the Bible says for 40 years, their clothes never withered out. The sandals on their feet never withered out. And there was never one feeble or weak amongst all their tribe. As they kept and maintained the ordinance of applying the blood year by year, it secured a barrier, a hedge of protection around them, around their cattle, that everything they had maintained and kept the blessing of God. And the devil never had a point of entry to messing things up. Job, everybody loves to look at Job and say, well, how many of you know, things, you know, God can choose to bless you, but sometimes, sometimes we're just like Job and we, we don't understand why things happen. Job was not written as a way for us to like, you know, the Bible does say by his stripes we're healed, but look at Job. To come and like excuse the blessing and oh, though we're not seeing it, we can look at Job. And Job was not written in a way that gets us to, um, to diminish the effect of the cross. The Job was written in such a way for the reader to gain an appreciation of what Jesus, the mediator, did for us. Remember in Job 1, Satan wanted to afflict Job, but what did he tell God? I can't. You've put a hedge over him. I can't touch his house. I can't touch his flocks. I can't touch his cattle. I can't touch anything that belongs to him. And he got free. What do you mean? Go out and afflict Job. I can't even do it if I wanted to. Satan had no legal right to enter in to Job's dwelling. But how did he gain entrance? Job said, the thing that I feared has come on me. When you walk in fear of the devil, you literally step out of covenant with God. When you walk in fear of what the devil can do, and you're, you are... Um, you start to like lose confidence in God's protection over your life, you give the devil free access to do whatever he wants in your life. That's why David said in Psalm 91, I will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the pestilence which stalks in darkness, nor of the destruction which lays waste at noon. I will not be afraid because I will say of my God, he is my refuge, he is my strength, he is my dwelling place, he is my house of refuge. So the things that came to Job, the hedge was lifted because of fear. But understand this, the hedge could be lifted because of fear because Job's righteousness and that hedge was in place because of his own cleanliness, his own ability to stay righteous, his own, um, his own actions paved the way for his righteousness. And that's why if he screwed up, because he did when he, when he was afraid, fear, the Bible says the fear man brings a snare. The moment he, he let fear grip his heart, the hedge was lifted. But look at in the Bible says in the New Testament, it's not our righteousness that gives us a position before God. It's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that has been imputed to us. So the hedge of protection around Job could be lifted, but the hedge of protection around us can never be lifted because our righteousness isn't based on our actions or our right doings. Our righteousness is based on Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. So quit stating Job as a scapegoat. To get you out of wondering why you're not blessed. Job, 
Job even cried out and said, if only my Redeemer was on the earth right now, he would put a hand on me and a hand on God and make peace between the two of us. Job cried out for the Redeemer. He cried out for the, me the mediator. Paul declared in 1 Timothy 2, we have that mediator before, between God and man. And that mediator is Jesus Christ, the man. Hallelujah. And that mediator, by the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the new covenant, establishes a protective shield. There, if you would see yourself, there's like a force field that the blood emits from you that warns adversaries and opposition to clear off the path. David Oedepo said there was a witch that got saved in one of his meetings and the witch came up to him and said, um, started to tell his testimony. And he'd say a lot of times we would like, we would do, you know, demonic rituals and whatnot, the blood of chickens and the blood of whatnot. And we'd do these like little concoctions. And by doing that, we would name certain people and then we would go to a highway we knew they would be driving on and we'd cause their accident and then we'd go and drink their blood. That's what he said. As, as a witch, that's what they used to do. And David Oyedepo asked him, well, what if someone like me who was covered by the blood came by? The moment someone like you came on our path, we knew to clear off the way. I pray in the name of Jesus, demons will begin to clear the path of your life from today onward. As you move forward, demons will move backwards in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus Christ. Your name is being added to the devil's touch not list. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Serves as a protective barrier. Number six. And remember. Remember what that witch, I said that witch said? They have the blood of chickens. It's amazing how they have so much trust these witches in, in confidence in the blood of a chicken to do things for them and then Christians are so ignorant of the blood of Jesus Christ they had the blood of chickens we have the blood of Jesus Christ of how much more power do you suppose that should produce in our lives you go to witch doctors they have witch doctors they'll use animal blood to try and come up with some like Temporal healing. That's not really healing because it just covers. It literally just dump, dims the pain and that's it. It never heals. Only God can heal. Or if the blood of a chicken can give temporary relief, how much more shall the blood of Jesus not give relief? Blast the sickness out of your life. Never to return again. Remove the root of it from your body. Number six. The blood gives you unhindered access to God. This is a powerful one. Because this is what's going to excite your prayer life too many people approach god in prayer like there's some cowards or timid folk lord uh, you know uh, i don't want to take up too much of your time today if um if you'll just do this one thing i promise i'll never bother you as if you're like a, a bother to god read this hebrews chapter 10 hebrews chapter 10 this is my last point and then i'm going to pray for you Hebrews chapter 10, thanks for joining me today. If you're just tuning in now, do a great service if you help me share the broadcast. Hebrews 10, 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way by which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled by uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true assurance in full, uh, sorry, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled by what? By the blood from an evil conscience. If you approach God with the um, mentality of you're some old, wretched, disgusting human that is not even, not even worthy to approach him in prayer. That you're pretty much just testing God's limits by asking this one thing. You're not going to have answered prayer. The Bible says we are to draw near with a true assurance of faith, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. If you entered into the holy of holies without blood in the old covenant, you would die. That's why they would tie a rope to your, the high priest's leg with a bell to it. In the event that he dropped dead, the bell would ring and then they would drag the body out. If you try and enter into God's presence in this new covenant and think your prayers are going to be answered without blood, you're, you're never going to have any prayers answered. But when you understand that the blood covers you, you can have a boldness now that when God hears me pray, it's as if Christ was praying. When God sees me enter into the Holy of Holies, it's as if Christ entered in. Remember Jesus said this in John 14, the Father himself loves you. John 17, God loves the Bible says Jesus prayed for the disciples, prayed for you and I, and said that you, God would love us with the same love that he has for Christ. God loves you the same way he loves Jesus. And when you're covered by his blood, the same way that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, that at the, any moment he can lean over and make petition on behalf of uh, an intercession on behalf of us to God. We also have the privilege and the right to approach the throne of God boldly to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's why the Bible says, brethren, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have such confidence before God. And when we have confidence in our prayers, we can ask whatever we desire and it shall be given. Whatever. Because we love God and we keep His commandments. So in brief, what are the six things that the power of the blood of Jesus will do for you? Number one, forgives sin and remission of sin. It removes sin from you. doesn't just deal with the things you have done. It removes the sin nature from you. It extracts sin. The body of sin has been done away with. Number two, breaks the power of sin. Meaning gives you a power... By the blood of Jesus to break free from the member. A man's sins are like cords and chains that trap a man and keep him bound. The blood of Jesus breaks those sins and addictions and habits and things you can't, you know, you can't medicate a demon. You can't medicate, you can't counsel someone out of meth addiction. There's a, a, a stronghold over their life and the weapons of our warfare are the only power, is the only power that can deal with the strongholds that sin brings on a person. The blood of Jesus is what breaks the strongholds of sin. Number three, breaks the curse. The three curses I said is the curse of the law, curse that come generationally, and then the curse of evil men. Number four, transmits God's very life to you. Number five, the blood of Jesus puts a protection around you and your family, your children. 
You should, you should thank God when you send your children out to school. I thank God the blood of Christ is on their minds. I thank God that whatever wicked doctrine they're trying to push in schools is not going to get in. I thank God that the blood of Jesus is on his body. That whatever sickness is going around at that school, whatever bacteria or virus or whatnot is going around on, on, on planet earth, I thank you that the blood of Jesus covers my family, that it'll be minus them. I, I, I'm telling you, when you understand the protective the protective power of the blood covenant, you'll, you, you won't get afraid when they announce another pandemic. You won't get afraid when they start telling you, oh, COVID was just the first of many. Because you'll understand that, yeah, though the darkness will prevail on the earth, yes, though the oven is going to heat up even more intensely as we see the day of the Lord approaching, yes, the Bible says that in the last days, difficult times are going to come and pestilences and famines and all these things are going to come on the earth. The scripture says unto you that fear my name, those that are protected and covered by the blood, as for you and your house because you serve the Lord you're not going to eat of the same menu that the world eats from God has set a different menu for you and your house in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and as for you the son of righteousness shall rise the Bible says in that day Malachi 3 I will spare my children those that are in covenant with me I will spare them from the horrors of that day and I will keep them just like a father spares and keeps and protects an obedient and dutiful child. Remember, David said, because I've kept the Lord ever at my right hand, I will not be moved. Those who trust in the Lord, those who walk in covenant with God, they're like Mount Zion. They shall never be moved. They shall be established forever. For as the mountains surround the city of Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people forever and ever. Hallelujah. I pray the Lord will open up your eyes to these truths today so that you'll see for yourself. You'll see by your spiritual eyes that a thousand can die to your side, 10,000 at your right hand. But the only thing you'll do is look on the reward of the wicked. For as for me, I dwell in the shelter of the Most High. I abide under the shadow, the protective power of the blood of Jesus. I will say of my God, He is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my God in whom I trust. His faithful promises are my shield and my bulwark. I'm not going to be afraid of the terror by night. I want you to write that in the comment section. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to be afraid of what the world is going through. I refuse, even if the mountains collapse even if the seas roar the bible says god is in my midst he will keep me he will protect me he gives his angels charge over me to guard me up in my ways lest i dash my foot against a stone because of that no evil shall befall me nor any plague come near my tent the only plague that can access me and my family is the plague that can go into the heavens and 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 take god out himself because the moment you can take God out, then you've made his blood of no effect. But since that no devil and no human agent and no curse and no plague can wipe God out, nothing can take the stripes off Jesus' back. Those stripes are still there. Those holes and piercings in his hands are still there. And that blood is still flowing from Emmanuel's veins that when sinners plunge beneath its flood, they lose all their guilty stains. If you'll understand that today, I'll tell you, if you'll set your love on God today, he said, I'll make you, I'll set you secure 
clearly on high. You don't have to wonder in tormenting fear whether it's going to be right for you and your family, whether things are going to be all right, whether you're going to make it in 2021. No, you can know that the blood speaketh of better things for you. The world might be speaking a bad report, but the blood speaks a good report. Hallelujah. 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 If you're watching today, the scripture says very clearly that you must be born again. You have to be born again. None of this is going to matter unless you're born again. The first thing the blood came to do was to guarantee that you're born again. But I want to tell you, just because the blood was shed doesn't mean every sinner is going to get saved. A sinner is not saved because he sees that Jesus died on the cross. There's a lot of people, even I know people that believe in God and believe Jesus died on the cross and they're not saved. The Bible's very clear. Two things will keep people from, from making heaven. One, ignorance. Ignorance to the gospel truths will keep people out of heaven. And then number two, it is rejection. A refusal to live and abide by gospel truths that will keep people in heaven. Unbelief. You're not ignorant anymore because you've watched this broadcast. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, lived the perfect life as a prophet, as a good teacher, but more than that, the son of the living God. He partook of flesh and blood so that in his death, he would put to death the devil and everything the devil brought on this world so that now we can be delivered from this present wicked age and enter into the kingdom of God. Not only when we die and get to heaven, but the Bible says the kingdom of God can come and live within you. Jesus paid a high price to make sure you make heaven. The devil's working a hard time trying to make sure you don't make heaven. Make sure you don't listen to a broadcast like this. Make sure you just hear this and say, man, I'll just wait. Uh, now's not the opportune time uh, you know I believe in all this but one day I'll, I, one day when things are a little more sorted out then I'll give my life to the Lord no you know things are busy now I don't really have time for church you're not promised tomorrow today's the day of salvation now's the acceptable time of the Lord don't harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness as in the day of the rebellion and God swore in his heart saying they'll never enter in my rest rather when you hear his voice today submit yourself to God and when you do that you'll have power to resist the the devil in your life and flee and be free forever if you're watching right now i want you to pray this with me pray this from the depths of your heart bible says if you believe in your heart god raised jesus from the dead and if you confess with your mouth jesus is lord and live a lifestyle of repentance you shall be saved if you mean this something called the regeneration will happen in you what is that it's whatever was dead in you the godlike nature that you carry as a human that died in sin that thing comes back to life again that's when joy comes back to life again that's when peace will start coming back to life again Jesus said come to me all that are weary and heavy laden stop trying to sort things out in yourself it's not going to be in drugs it's not going to be in money it's not going to be in alcohol the scripture says come unto me Jesus said take my yoke on you take my burden it's easy and it's light and you will find rest for your souls pray this with me and I pray that the rest of God the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard you from this moment on we we'll say this father in Jesus name I approach you humbly I believe that Jesus rose from the dead I believe that his blood was shed so that I can be forgiven so that my sins can be washed out so that everything can become new I confess today, Jesus is my Lord. I repent of sin. 
I turn away from my old life and I turn to you in faith today. Fill me with your spirit and empower me to live for you the remainder of my days. I'll never look back. Heaven is my home and I'm moving forward in Jesus name. Amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. And the first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. And I want to get some material to you free of charge. I want to help you out. We pay shipping and handling. Salvationnow.ca. I just got saved. Fill it out. If you've, you're recommitting your life to Christ today, do it. If it's your first time, do it. I'd love to hear from you and I want to get a gift into your head. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.